Welcome to Pints and Politics. Pints and Politics is a podcast posted at pintsandpoliticsptbopodcasters.ca. You can also listen or subscribe by searching for Pints and Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. We're also an occasional panel discussion program on Trent Radio, CFFF in Peterborough, 92.7 FM. This is episode 109. Normally, I host a panel discussion and we explore all things political with a focus on life in Peterborough, Ontario, and Canada. This episode was recorded on November 5th, 2021. But this episode will be quite different. Instead of a panel discussion about political issues, I'm going to indulge in a few memories of mine that appeared in the Peterborough Examiner on November 2nd. I'll read that article and tell you about the central character, a man I remember as Uncle Percy. He wasn't my uncle, and I can explain all that in a moment. Now, maybe it's because of where and when I grew up and who was around me when I was a kid, or maybe it's simply the time of year, you know, Halloween, the Day of the Dead, and Remembrance Day, November 11th. It's a time to reflect. Uh, over the years, uh, I've come to know veterans who have fought in five major wards over the past century. I've worked with young vets who served in Afghanistan. Uh, I've worked with Canadians and Americans who fought in Vietnam. I know a Korean War vet. And growing up, uh, I was surrounded by veterans of World War II. But the article I'm about to read is about one of the two World War I veterans that I remember from very early childhood growing up in Montreal. As a kid and as a teenager, I often dwelt on the unimaginable fears and risks that my parents' generation faced in World War II. You know, and the question for me was, certainly as a boy, as a teenager, was, well, could I do it? Uh, What would I do in such and such a combat situation? Fortunately, I I never had to answer that question, and as an adult, I never tried to find out. I should also explain about uh, a bit about the social setting in sort of the middle years of the last century growing up in Montreal in the pre-television era. Yes, I can remember that just barely and quite vaguely. Uh, friends of my parents would drop over uh, frequently to visit and socialize. This was, long, of course, long before the Internet and social media. People visited a lot and there was quite a bit of conversation And the arrival of TV really didn't have a a major impact back then because uh, TV, the TV watching experience was hardly the the high def widescreen immersive experience of today. My mother was able to buy one of the first TVs in our neighborhood. She got a deal through her brother who worked in appliance repair in Connecticut. So I remember helping her lug this monstrous Emerson console home on the train from the States. This contraption had an enormous 11-inch screen. And I remember over 30 people came over to our home to watch uh, the Grey Cup in that first year. It must have been in uh, 53 or 54. There was a lot uh, on that early TV about World War II, and I watched it all. There were weekly series such as War in the Air, War at Sea, the 20th Century, and of course Walter Cronkite. So anyway, people talked and told stories and debated and played cards. It was in this context that I remember meeting uh, the World War I vet I'm going to speak about here. I must have been seven or eight years old at the time, no, no older than that. 
A shorter edited version of the piece I'm about to read was posted in the online version of the Peterborough Examiner on November 2nd. I've included a link uh, to my write, writing portfolio here. Uh, this article is the most recent post in that portfolio. All right, so hang on, here we go. War, or at least its echoes, was all around me as a child. I had a sense that I had just missed something momentous. The adults in my life were not at all sentimental about World War II, but they gave me the impression that the war was a time when they felt most alive, <clears throat> a time when they had the most vivid experiences of their lives. Uh, most of those who fought did not talk about their combat experience. My intent here is not to celebrate war or f foster a longing for what they went through. I write only to remember and to give words to one veteran's life so that those who did not know him can go back in time for a moment. All I really want to do here is to tell his story. Now, many family friends dropped by our home in those days. Uh, my parents always referred to them as uncle or auntie. Now, they came over for drinks or for conversation or play cards, but most of all for friendship. Now, they weren't relatives at all, but perhaps these family labels helped me feel more welcome in these friendships. Uncle Percy was one of these visitors. He was much older than my parents, probably in his mid-fifties. Uh, he was entirely ecumenical in his taste for, for liquor, whatever my father poured, Percy graciously accepted, with much laughter, always saying that the drink, whatever it was, be it rye, scotch, gin, dark rum, he always said it was his favorite. Percy was also revered by my mother for his buoyant humor, his charm, and his prodigious abilities as a storyteller. For my, uh, for my parents, Percy was an elder statesman. He was like an ambassador from an older generation. For me, he was the funny old man who told marvelous, exciting stories. His visits were occasions for great laughter, more than a few drinks, and many stories. Unlike so many of his generation, Percy was a talker. After all, he had some stories to tell. Percy had served in World War I as a biplane pilot. Percy volunteered in 1917, soon after he was old enough to enlist. He joined the Canadian Army, but early in his training, he was asked if he wanted to fly. At 19 years of age, uh, there could have only been one answer. Percy started to train with the Royal Flying Corps, the precursor to the RAF, as soon as he got to Britain. He was assigned to a squadron in Belgium that flew a series of push biplanes that specialized in reconnaissance and bombing the FE-2B. It was an impossibly fragile-looking aircraft, really a giant mechanized dragonfly made of wood, canvas, and wire with a 70-horsepower engine and a Vickers machine gun. This primitive aircraft had an air crew of two. 
a pilot and an observer who navigated and fired the gun. I looked up Percy's uh, plane online and discovered that the FE-2B had a propeller mounted behind the cockpit, hence the name Push Biplane. The advantage of this design was that the rear-mounted propeller gave the pilot and the observer an unrestricted field of fire for their Vickers gun. The disadvantage was that the observer had to stand up in the cockpit to fire the gun. There was nothing holding him in the plane. No belts, no room for parachutes. There was a constant need for a new observers. Uh, one pocket of air turbulence, and that was it. The maximum speed of the FE-2B was 147 kilometers an hour. Its maximum altitude was 11,000 feet. It took over 40 minutes to get up there. A very slow dragonfly indeed. As a reconnaissance aircraft, the FE-2B played a vital role in targeting artillery bombardments. Here's how it worked. Once airborne, Percy's observer would identify enemy gun installations with binoculars, then write notes and sketch maps, which then he dropped over the side of the plane to radio operators in trenches just behind the front lines. Those messages from Percy's plane were then signaled to Allied artillery batteries via Morse code. There were no radios in those planes. A radio of the time weighed over 75 pounds. be no room for it. I discovered uh, online that the average life expectancy of a new pilot on the Western Front was three weeks. Percy somehow made it to the end of the war, almost a full year. He must have been a very good pilot. Telling stories to me, then I was seven, Percy made flying in World War I sound like a grand adventure. I heard nothing about horrendous crashes, nothing about the obscene butchery all around him, nothing about losing friends, nothing about the profound terror of aerial combat, and certainly nothing about the senseless slaughter on the ground. Percy told me that the greatest fear of the biplane air crews was not the Kaiser's fighter planes or the anti-aircraft fire. No, the greatest danger was from thunderstorms. Percy assured me that his bombing of enemy trenches was entirely ineffective. Harmless. The bombs were small metal canisters, uh, which his observer would pick up from the floor of the cockpit and drop over the side of the plane by hand. From Percy's description, these bombs sounded like they were really just enlarged hand grenades. According to Percy, we never hit anything. Anyway, we couldn't tell. There were no explosions. We could see those bombs were probably filled with apple jelly. After the war, he made regular trips back to Britain to visit his observer. They remained steadfast friends for life. I lost touch with Percy when I left home for school. A few years ago, I found his name on a guest list for a World War I pilots reunion in Toronto in 1970. Percy never spoke of being terrified or taking huge risks or why he survived when so many around him died. He never spoke of killing people. As a child, I never thought to ask him, what would he have said? Okay, well, you've been listening to Pints and Politics, 
And this has been episode 109. We post on Twitter at Bill Temp and on our Facebook page, Pints and Politics Podcast. We're also available on iTunes and Stitcher. So until next time, this is Bill Templeman.